This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Sort of, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well, especially for a Friday, although we're not going to graduation because that didn't happen. Hmm. Better it's luck next year. Person, pretty selfish of that person to do what they did and impact on so many learners. Um, at what should be one of the happiest days of their lives. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the 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 graduation is a bit of a a fancy dress, but it's a fancy dress with a lot of meaning. Yeah. So hopefully we can find a way of getting that meaning in some other way. Well, I'm looking forward to mine next year. Indeed, indeed, wearing the. <laughs> I bet you are too. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest is also having a graduation next year as well. Um, and it's my pleasure to introduce Victoria Mitchell, who is coming to us from Lower Hutt. Depending on where she positions herself at any given moment, she's a teacher and she's a student um, and has newly completed, completed her master's thesis. Um, I've had the great pleasure of speaking to her about her work over the last little while and it's been really neat conversation I have thoroughly enjoyed. So welcome, Victoria. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to, to meet you both and to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You are in Lower Hutt. How was lockdown in Lower Hutt? Uh, from a teaching perspective, it was very interesting. From a family perspective, my two sons fled the coop, which was a bit of a, I found that quite shattering and it took me quite a few days to sort of realise that I'd been um, superseded. <laughs> it was no longer needed sort of thing. But in the end, um, how I faced lockdown with my students was um, one of the more special times that I think I will have in my life, actually. Um because of having to be compelled to use alternative means to to make contact and to sustain contact with with kids that sometimes struggled to um, engage, uh, it was a really enriching experience for me. I hope it was for them, but I got so much from my relationships that that changed because of of the nature of the whole COVID thing. You know, it was it was actually quite an enriching experience i to, to clarify i i work with um english language learners and so for them a lot of them refugee migrants it was very confusing and 
um, bewildering and very even more isolating than what they experience on an everyday basis. And so it was it was an incredible privilege, really. I, I actually spent most of lockdown doing maths. <laughs> and and as a consequence, the 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 kids that I, I spent a lot of time with had a new pathway open to them. And that was exciting. And it showed me what it takes to make a difference to somebody. You know, it's not just a, a flyover. It's not just five minutes. It's not just a year at school and classes. It actually took heart. It took a commitment and it took a space that if lockdown hadn't happened, I wouldn't have had that space with them. It was a whole opportunity to to do something. And, and is everybody who knows me knows that I and maths are not friends. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of learning. And I was using, a, um, I, I spent hours trying to find resources online that would help. But it was, it was about the commitment to these kids and seeing that if, if I could just do one thing to open a door that they possibly may enjoy having access to, that they could actually start a new pathway or a new vision of themselves, you know, finding out that, hey, I, I can substitute A for a number. You know, these are refugee kids and they're often got huge educational gaps. And it's just drilling down to find where the missing parts are and to work up from that. And, and without that opportunity at lockdown, I wouldn't have had that chance to set a new pathway for them. And it was, it was, it was a total thrill. It was, it was hard work, but it, we were in it together. And they knew that I was useless at math. I mean, that was that you can't hide that. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was joining the conversation together, you know. And they'd they'd come up with a glitch, and you know, on the Zoom, they'd look at me hopefully expectantly, and I'd just go, um, "Okay, let's figure this one out together." And it was so enriching. It was awesome. Taught me a lot about teaching more than um, that. I, you know, I suppose it was. I was doing it in line with how I taught. It was just putting it on online was a really um You describe yeah. it as enriching. I don't know if yeah. it's possible to reduce it down to the single dimension of, of better or worse. But do you think that they came out okay? Compared to what they out would have had? COVID. Out of the lockdown or out of yeah. the experience? <laughs> <laughs> out of the, the learning in... Because these are kids that are already faced considerable disruption and challenges to yeah. their to their yeah. learning journey. So it, it would be understandable if they had just put their head under the, under the pillow and said, I've just, like, that's, you know, last straw, I'm not doing this. But well, it doesn't sound do. like that's what they some were doing. Do. Well, not these guys. I didn't give them a chance, really. I was haranguing them. <laughs> yeah, because I think, you know, we're talking about um, children, you know, big children, but they're not adults. And I think we confuse secondary education with adultifying education because they're big bodies and, and they think they know it all and we've got to do all this accountability stuff and and I think we've just sort of alienated kids from from learning. They they can't access it anymore. It's just like I go into classes and I l look at the stuff that the kids are having to learn, and they just can't access it. And this is just everybody. Like you've got to be really smart, I think, 
to get through secondary school these days. Yeah, the, but, the language that's used and then ex the expected to, to access and to get through to make the assignments work, just see problems all the time. But none of those problems are new. Was it the, the extra disruption of the pandemic which somehow allowed us to experiment and to do different things? Yeah, and, and to see people in different lights, a different vision of people and, and their possibilities and what they needed. And, yeah, some teachers took real advantage of that to provide something different and, and getting to know their kids in a different way. I think it's that knowing people, you know, seeing what somebody could be and who they are now and what they see themselves is what they want to become. but. A lot of our kids don't know what they want to become. You ask them and they all want to be a doctor. Well, you know, it's sometimes, you know, in one part that's a little bit unrealistic, but also it might not match their their life journey. It might not match their, their personality or, or, or whatever. And eventually if you start revealing or well, giving them opportunity to find themselves, um, then they find something that matches and they can walk in it. It's like opening up their journey for them. I want to play Mike Scott Open. It's got the convenience of it being about open and you're just talking about opening journeys. But why this one? Uh, this song is, it speaks to me a lot about um, being open to each other and being open to the possibilities of what you might find about yourself by interacting with another person. So being open to the things around you, being open to the people around you, being open to the events that are happening to you, but also being aware of, of the changes or the growth in your own self because of the things that you're encountering. I think that, that can give us a lot of strength in our relationships with each other. Yeah, the song is, is quite an easy song to listen to. I was listening to it this afternoon and trying to figure out for myself why it, it was an important song for me. But it talks about being open to silence and being open to risk and being open to all sorts of things that um, we really could be a lot more sensitive to and look at our own inside growth when we do those things.
Um, that being open to possibilities requires us to have imagination and I spend so much time pondering this generation of kids and whether there's a change in the way that their imagination is developed or their imaginations aren't developing as you know we did sort of 20, 30, 40 40 years ago, we don't need to be older than 40 today and uh, you know like there's, there's definitely a change and um, so there's two parts to this, the, but so I'll, I'll I'll say the rest and then give you the chance to uh, to answer. But I was thinking yesterday that when we, if you put a device in front of a child, like on a game or anything like that, and even if it looks like they're given the opportunity to make choices, in actual fact, you've already decided what choices they'll make and what the impact or consequence of that choice is. So there is absolutely no choice in the entire process and I worry about what the impact of that is on imagination. And so there you go. What do you think, where do you think our kids are at in terms of imagination at the moment? Oh, on a scale of one to ten, probably two if we're lucky. I, I Seriously, I am appalled at the inability for so many of our students at high school and to be fair, I'm only in one high school, but it's a really big high school, so it's a reasonably good sample um, of their inability to make to join the dots, but also to see the gaps between the dots and to try and figure out what else could happen in that space. I look and like I go to a lot of classes because that's my job, and I look at the kids who are actively learning and they're engaged with often pen and paper, believe it or not. And they're asking questions and they're doing brain mapping and their their mind is is firing. And then I look at the rest of the class, which is by far the majority, and if they're not on their phones, they're still just staring into space. Like they're just not they're wanting to be spoon fed so that they can regurgitate to stick it on the 
exam paper and then tickety-boo, they're off. The other thing I worry about is also because I'm an ESOL person, working with English language learners, but there are so many nuances in language. And these kids scrape through, literally scrape, will push through. They go off to university and they scrape through, but they're losing so much meaning in the language that they are using as their additional language. And I really fear that that really affects these are our future leaders, you know. These are our, our where they're going to take the planet. But I don't. I I feel like they're just like one and one is two, and that's it. It's as far as they can go because they they're being taught in a second language, which is rich with meaning and rich with twists and possibilities for new thinking. But they they don't recognise that when someone is talking to them, whether it's a lecturer or in a workshop or or any context. They miss so much. And people say, oh, well, they just translate it back into their own language. But it doesn't work like that. If they're, if they're being taught this content with this limited amount of vocabulary and nuances and idiomatic stuff and all those other things that we get culturally because it's our language, we, we know what we mean when we say what well, we're supposed to. Um, uh, but it's lost, I think. And I think that has a big impact on sociological imagination I really really do and I can't see the solution to it except um, bring back play centers actually because it all starts you know right back at the beginning and kids need to experience space and depth and weight weight of things you know that it's not plastic stuff my kids went to the Steiner school I was um, I was very influenced by um, someone in Christchurch where I was living at the time um, and he was a doctor at the at the Steiner school and I really enjoyed his philosophy and it was it was heart stuff with mind stuff and with soul stuff and it was about the freedom of the soul and it was about being free to imagine and and, and living in an imaginative um, yeah your soul is alive basically and and so when I was I was in my teacher training when I was um, uh, investigating all this. So by the time I turned around to have my own children, I was very keen for them to have a Steiner education because, um, I mean, a lot of the Steiner stuff, I, I you know, yeah, it's it's okay, but it's, I, I loved the freeing of the soul to think. And when they play, when the children, the little children play in the kindergarten, it's, it's with real things. They make bread from grain that they ground themselves. They know where food comes from. They they sense it. They feel it. They taste it. They smell it. They do it collectively. It's not it's different in, in other places. It, it's such a rich experience. So my kids went through the Steiner School, but they also went through Play Centre, and they also went to kindergarten. It sounds like a real cacophony of, 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 of a very busy early childhood and it was because they were very busy boys but they they've come out with such um um a depth and a width and a real ability to imagine deeply and i think bringing all that back to what we were talking about before i think that's really what's missing we've got kids who just park themselves on phones on screens and you're right the choices are not their choices they're constrained they're constrained by the programmer 
you, you've got this choice and this choice or you know 500 choices but nonetheless it's not your choice you are part of that and I, I, I just think this is a damning indictment on on education and on our society and it's a really huge concern and I, I actually see a lot of ministry and um, computer companies and just looking that and, and constraining education and stopping it from being what actually education should be about about freeing people to be free to be able to think to, to imagine you know yeah we've talked to a lot of people this year a lot of it was very good answer we've talked to a lot of parents this year yeah and as i haven't done the maths on it because i haven't recorded it but there's been a an almost even split i would say of the parents that have said talking about their kids schooling during the lockdown it was really good the teachers were really organized they they you know sat them down and they did they did their hour of maths and then they did their hour of english and, and so on and the other half of them who said i'm so glad my teacher didn't do that they basically said today's today's learning is go out to the garden and find 10 different leaves of different shapes or build a fort or whatever it was yeah. And it's interesting that there's such a strong, been such a strong split on those things. I suspect you would come down on the project end. Come down smack in the middle. Because yeah. there is actually, you can do the projects and all the lovely stuff, but you've actually got to have, you've got to have knowledge as well growing beside that, because otherwise you're just going to be a flower. You need, to, you actually need the, the guts of the, of the knowledge and the disciplines and, 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 what we know you know we we what i what i want for our kids is that they have they have both things that they have they can grow their project mind but with knowledge and they grow their knowledge because they know how to play with it they know how to pull it apart they know how to unpack it they know how to put it back together in different ways and you know they inside every one of us we can be our own interdisciplinarians we can I know, like when you ask me how how will I be introduced? Well, I, I I'm lots of different things, and and they all come to play every time I sit down with a student, online or um, face to face. I'm so aware that I'm not just doing just teaching, and I'm actually pulling on everything I am, and I'm trying to pull on everything they bring to the table or to the walk on the field or wherever we are, but meshing who you are and who I am and it's a very messy sort of operation it's not like NCEA level one it's you know it, it, it's it's a cluster of things that come together at that moment so yeah so I think I'm I really value knowledge I really do but I value also the ability for people to play with it and make something new from it Beyond the the fact that we are now all more comfortable with technology, do you think that we'll see a fingerprint of the pandemic in how we think about learning and teaching? Um, I think you're asking me about teachers changing practice because of what they've experienced. And I yeah. think there's an, an even school organisation I think there's a lot of that going on, um, but there's lots of pressures from all sorts of angles that constrain that, and maybe some of those things might enable change as well. But 
like there's there's this um really amazing Facebook forum called Disrupted, and it's great. Lots of people put really insightful um blogs and thinkings, and you know it's a quite a a clever place to put your 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 thinkings to. You get a lot of interesting feedback, but um, in there, there was a lot of people who were questioning the whole COVID thing made them think about what is the best way to deliver education to our kids? Is it like just face-to-face or is it this or is it that or is it a blend of it? And then who determines what the blend is? Because as sure as eggs, you know, you, you put something together for a group of kids and it's not going to match everybody. So who gets to decide that? Is it the teacher? Well, it's the teacher that's doing the delivery. Is it the kid? Well, it's the kid that's receiving the delivery. So how do we find that way in an institutionalized thing that's government funded? You know, it, it, we can have all the aspirational plans that, that we like, but at the end of the day, we've got schools, we've got buildings, we've got a bunch of people, we've got teachers who are inadequately prepared for the job. And that's my biggest bandwagon is we're expecting teachers to to weave this amazing magic but they come into it they they arrive in the classroom with not the skills that they need to do what we've been talking about you know to release the imagination it's all so hard and it's not the teacher's fault it's it's kind of not anyone's fault it's just where we've gone and it's i don't know how to bring that back with my dissertation I've just completed like three hours ago, um, it was about looking at the power of people coming together with different disciplines, because that's the problem with ESOL and mainstream is that we don't understand each other. And ESOL teachers are considered like a service rather rather than an expert discipline in, in their own right. So they come into a mainstream teacher's class and they're sort of there to help the mainstream teacher. But it's actually got to be richer than that. It's got to be a collaboration between two people who respect each other. And so in that space, this it's, um, a socio-critical space by this um, wonderful writer called Chris Gutierrez, who I just adore. And it's when you, you put these two or more people, groups, disciplines together, that you get this new idea coming out. But in order to do that, you actually have to put the situation or the circumstances in place for, those to, for that to occur. You can't just say, oh, you go and talk over the staff room. You know, you've actually got to have the time and the energy and the guidance and, and how you're not going to, you know, talk to each other when you don't even understand each other's language. Um, you've got different agendas, different priorities. It needs a lot more space. And I think it's where the ministry really has to come on board, if they would, to make sure that teachers of different disciplines can actually sit and talk with guidance together. And that's 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 the change. It's not professional development from on top. It's not another workshop to go to. It's not a university course. It's actually teachers talking with the kids. Important, yeah. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orakunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou. We hope you're all happy, stable superstars, and beloved really hope whatever's happening with this journey and to be very sustaining for you more who you are, for the names are perfect. Now, as we know, we're together and so grateful for this each day, we're celebrating the hopes of being helpful. 
And I would really recommend this everybody in the whole universe. So incredibly, incredibly stabilised and grounded. So brilliant for me. So thank you to Sam, the whole Blown Bubble team. And today, of course, I awoke into the midst of powerful and transformational rainstorm. As I gaze out the window, I can see that the view that I see each morning re-arrive back as physical incarnation has been completely changed transformed and i can see a very beautiful view as always here in Otipoti Stunid in the ultimate paradise this very gentle and stunning view of a misty cloud-covered landscape and i can hear this gentle percussion the rain it's just really really beautiful and this is a, a great change from yesterday when it was absolutely Scorchio, as they say, and it's very, very hot. And I love that, of course, around us. The living world is constantly surprising us and giving us the opportunity to reset and renew our enthusiasm, renew the energy with which we gaze about us in awe and wonder and appreciate the world that surrounds us. And this can be very helpful, especially at this time of year when we're all very tired and we have had a big year. And as we head towards the end of 2020, of course, it's so important that we find these constants in our lives. And of course, one of the constants is those beautiful, beautiful elemental forces that surround us, the wind, rain, light, heat, all of these aspects of our living world that guide us and shape our experiences and have shaped the experiences of all life in an infinite web all the way back to Temataka. And very excitingly yesterday, beautiful mummy Maya had four babies, four babies, four beautiful new baby, little tiny baby chicks who are so cute and so beautiful. It's very exciting. And of course for them, this whole experience has just begun. And I love to think about that. What would it be like having just arrived and experiencing all of these miracles for the first time? And of course we can attempt to reorient our perceptions in this direction. We can attempt to step into our lives as if we were completely new to all aspects at any time. And often when we wake up in the morning we experience this we move from that blissful dream state where we may have been in a completely different dimension to gradually reacquainting ourselves with all of the aspects of our life in this realm and really today I was just struck by the possibility of re-experiencing and renewing my enthusiasm for this experience as if for the first time, how powerful that is. So I really hope that for you, you are able to give yourself these new eyes when you need them. And I really hope that this enables you to enjoy and nourish yourselves and maintain, recharge your energy levels as we head towards the end of the year together. And I'll look forward to talking to you. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Victoria Mitchell. You're working with these refugee kids or, or, or kids from different backgrounds. Did you manage to use the the communication around the pandemic as a as a thing to talk about with those kids? And if so, I'm wondering how they perceived the the be kind and the the, the team of five million. Did it resonate with them? Mm, not that I picked up. No. A, a lot of them, the ones that I was working with anyway, um, a lot of, because they're English language learners, 
and they were very foundational language learners so their families are here and it's all just bewildering um they, they kind of didn't have as big awareness perhaps of of the scale of it or um or what they could be doing with it but other students i'm trying to make sense of my answer here other students were really um reliant on teacher input to get them through this time for sure and it was it's about sort of meeting each individual in that time as they came across within their family group or whatever group they were staying with and that was um really important like it was wasn't just a student it was it was about the family unit as well like we we got to know families in a different way than if we had just been at school with the kids face to face so it wasn't just about the kids in the end and sometimes about their siblings or about their grandma or you know it was it was interesting because it was like being online is much more separate from them but actually we felt some of us felt we got closer to the kids than in a in a setting at school where you don't kind of meet on that level yeah the whole experience was bewildering enough for those of us that that do speak the language that everything was being communicated in. I could only begin to think what it would be like if we were going through a pandemic in Korea or somewhere that and and not understanding what what was well, going right. on. Absolutely, it's like putting yourself into their shoes just to feel like how they must feel here. They're isolated from family and friends. They can't you know understand all the all the news reports and things and like it was a big scramble trying to get computers even to some of these homes so that they had access to information you know what well, like we just take it for granted we can just flick on the screen and we can get updates about this that and the next thing we can read it we can understand it we can synthesize it we can live with it because we you know adapt our practice to it but a lot of these people were just stuck just stuck they had each other we were quite as a team in the school that i work in we worked really closely together and we were constantly looking out for our ESOL kids. Yeah, we, we became like, you know, nannies. <laughs> because it was it was a personal thing. It wasn't just an education thing. And education is so much part of your whole being. It's not just the maths or not just the, you know, and some of the, the lessons that our ESOL um teachers designed for the kids were exactly what you were talking about like going out and counting the flowers and, and making them aware of the the things that were just accessible and around them and, and and giving them a new light to look at new way of looking at things yeah without focusing too much on the covid i mean you can do that to death really mm, yes <laughs> oh god we didn't talk about covid again no <laughs> yeah i think even maths was a light relief for some <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months, nearly a year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I think um, working together, working together in new ways, um, realising that you can work together with difference, people who are different from yourself that you wouldn't have rubbed shoulders with before and discovering that actually you can generate something good and something new from that. Uh, I think a lot of people have learned their own self-reliance and own self-resilience as well. Like, oh, I didn't know I could do that, you know, and 
Like I didn't know I could teach maths. <laughs> it was just a joke. But I, I did. I made an impression and I made an impression for myself and I changed my own identity about how I felt about maths. And I think that's the same for a lot of these kids that it, it changed how they thought about themselves in the space that they're in. What lessons do you think we can take from this experience, the pandemic and the pandemic response for the the bigger ongoing sort of questions that we face? Because this one's going to go away eventually. I'm thinking of things like climate change or social injustice. Um, the same answer. I think just people coming together and using the knowledge they have to generate new knowledge. And, and that knowledge isn't just universities. It's it's asking the people at the bottom of the of the pile. It's making everybody count. Like I think I think it's too easy to for the people who have got power and have got knowledge to think that they're the ones that are left to make the decisions. I think we need to work really closely with our communities to empower them to become involved in the political processes that we have. In New Zealand, we're really lucky. We anyone can go to a council meeting. Anyone can can look at the at the minutes of the last meeting. Anyone can go and have their five minute spiel. You know, I tried that last over the last couple of years, and it's been really empowering for me or to me to to see that I can actually make a difference. And then as a teacher, I've used that as very much a um when I've taken my ESOL students out of their social studies or history classes because it wasn't making any sense to them, is actually taking them through what a political process looked like here in New Zealand to try and empower them and feel like they have some ability to step into a way of thinking that affects them and affects their community and that they can have some input into it. And that they're not removed from it because it's all these, all these, situations have their own language their own it's not just the english language it's the whole genre and the register of it and it, it, it separates people away from feeling like they can participate and, and if 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 i could do anything in my lifetime it would be to enable as many people as i can to feel like they have some agency and that they can they can just go to a meeting or to meet up with people and just be respected enough and enough confidence in themselves to speak and to, to to have their voice recorded and reported and acknowledged it's not just the big people it's the it's the people at the supposed bottom of the pile i just wish i could tip it up the way <laughs> so that the people who have the experience and the, and the thinking you know that they can actually be the ones that do the speaking yeah I think we that, make politics way too hard. That couldn't have worked better if we had designed it as an introduction to K Tempest People's Faces. Why did you choose this one? I adore this woman. I, I When she came out to New Zealand, I just melted. She was just the best. My God, I just wish I could meet her personally. Every word she says and every line she says just, like, destroys me inside, actually. I just just so um so definitive in, in describing 
the human condition, you know, she just gets it. And this song particularly I loved because it talks a lot about the direness of, of, of what we're all facing and everything. And then she says, so you have to listen to the to the song, okay? You can't miss the chorus. The chorus says, You look I look into your into people's faces and I see hope. You know, I see hope in people's faces. And that's what I experience at school. I'm sitting next, if you can picture this, I'm sitting next to any kid, okay, an English language learner. And the teacher in their all best intention is prattling on about chemistry or bonds or whatever they're talking about, algebra, calculus. And this kid is looking at me and looking at the teacher and trying to make sense of this. And then the teacher comes over to them and goes blah, blah, blah at them, usually really loudly, and says the same thing 10 times really loudly. And then starts tapping on the desk and says, why didn't you understand that? And then the kid turns to me and I see in their eyes a mixture of things. I see confusion, I see sadness, I see grief, but I also still see hope that they they still are clinging on to this idea that they being at school is going to give them a pathway and in, and in, in, in the means by which that they can walk their pathway. And when I like I've had this happen to me so many times, it, it almost makes me weep. Is just to, when you look in their eyes and you see them, you see the soul of the person. And I think Kate, the singer, she just sums that up. You know, she's she's talking about being in the train station and she's weeping with all the all the things that's going on and making her feel very um very sad. And then she sees people and she sees hope. And I I, I just think it's a delicious song. coming to pass my country's coming apart the whole thing's becoming such a bumbling farce was that a pivotal historical moment we just went stumbling past well here we are dancing in the rumbling dark so come a little closer give me something to grasp give me your beautiful crumbling heart another disaster Catharsis, another half discarded mirage, another mask slips. I face off with the physical, my head's ringing from the love of the stars. There is too much pretense here, and too much depends on the fragile wages and extortionate rents here. We're working every dread day that is given us. Feeling like the person people meet really isn't us Like we're gonna buckle underneath the trouble Like any minute now the struggle's gonna finish us And then we smile at all our friends It's hard We got our heads down and our hackles up Our backs against the wall I can feel you aching None of this was written in stone There is nothing we're forbidden to know and I can feel things changing Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking I stand weeping at the train station Cause I can see your faces There is so much peace to be found In people's faces I saw it roaring 
I felt it clawing at my clothes like a grieving friend. It said there are no new beginnings until everybody sees that the old ways need to end. But it's hard to accept that we're all one and the same flesh given the rampant divisions between oppressor and oppressed. But we are, though. More empathy, less greed, more respect. All I've got to say has already been said. I mean, you heard it from yourself when you were lying in your bed and couldn't sleep, thinking, couldn't we be doing this differently? I'm listening to every little whisper in the distance singing hymns. And I can. I can feel things changing. But it's so hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up, our backs against the wall. I can feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. The current's fast, but the river moves slow and I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station because I can see your faces. There is so much peace to be found in people's faces it's not enough to imagine we'll be happy when we've got enough stuff all this stuff is blocking us i'm neat with no chaser i'm all spirit but i'm sinking because these days are not days but strange symptoms and this age is our age, but our age is rage sinking to beige. And yes, our children are brave, but their mission is vague. Now, I don't have the answers, but there are still things to say. I stare out at my city on another difficult day and I scream inwardly, when will this change? I'm beginning to fade, but my sanity's saved because I can see your faces. My sanity's saved. Cause I can see your faces, it's hard We got our heads down and our hackles up Our backs against the wall, I can feel your heart racing None of this was written in stone The current's fast but the river moves slow And I can feel things changing Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking I stand weeping at the train station Cause I can see your faces I love people's faces. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time at all, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, goodness. Um... Well, I could say my my getting my um, dissertation in today <laughs> was kind of right up there, but it's um it was just a, a something that runs through my life anyway. But everything in that dissertation was everything that I live, and I I think the the best successes I've had I can be can put them as that is is the relationship that I've had with my students. That has been a unique relationship, and it's what they've given me, and they've revealed themselves to me as I've helped them reveal themselves to themselves but they've also revealed me to myself you know when I've I've seen 
I've, I've felt in myself a reaction or a response to something and I've, I've taken the measure of it and I thought, oh, gosh, hell, the, how did that happen and why did I think that? And, and it's some of the stories that I've got from the kids that I've worked with. Like even today, I had a, a, had a message from, from one of my kids. I, it was just a beautiful one. He said, oh, thank you for making, for, for mating me. You made me shape myself. You know, and this is a student that I, I met way back and I've kept in touch. I keep in touch with lots of them. And like, this is like nine years ago. And he's, he's still saying, you made me shape myself. And, and if I can have success in anything, it would be to enable people to find their own shape. Yeah. So my uh, with the maths this year, that was successful because I took time to figure out what these kids needed and it, that's created its own set of relationships just through maths. And I think it's about the side people. That's That's been what's made anything I've done be successful, however you measure success. You might have just answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because then you get a free hit at it. <laughs> We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are most definitely in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Wow. Commitment. Commitment and love for people and hope. Hope for them. Hope for me. It's hope for all of us. It's like being our best selves together and and just seeing what you can do. I remember my, my son one day, we were just driving down the road and he looked at the hills. He said, those hills are knuckles of God and we are God's arms. Like, okay, that's pretty profound. <laughs> like he was like, you know, seven or something time. And I, I, I've thought about that so often. We are whatever you conceive or perceive God to be if God is. But we are the arms. We are the hand. We are the, 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 the very thing that we each need. We are, we are here already. So I think my responsibility as a human is just that, is to be be here and be what I can be for others. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Definitely. Absolutely. 300%. Activist in, in many things, many um, movements and groups and things, but mainly active. Active to meet whatever lines up to my values, which also sh- are shifting I suppose, well, I don't know my values shift, actually. I'll take that back. I've, I've got a set of values that I, I, I come to learn about myself. Like, they, they grow and they, they get modified by who I meet. But I, I definitely um, have a code of my own personal conduct. And if I think I can do something and I don't do it, then I get pretty rough on myself. Like, right, you know why? And I, I try and figure out how I can be better. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? I think I think my favourite word is grace, is giving grace to people and, and living in grace and knowing that we are all so reliant on each other and we can all grow with each other in grace. You know, like it's like that forgiving sort of tolerance, sort of knowing that you might come from a completely different time and place and space and political spectrum and all that sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, we are human. And, and 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 we're we're creatures. We're we we're all inhabiting this place together. And whether it's human or animal or bird, it's, it's respect for life, for the living soul. I think that's yeah. I don't know what I even think about the whole idea of reincarnation, all that sort of thing. But sometimes I feel like the people I meet, I've met before, and and we're coming round and meeting again. And and I don't know who you were before to me, but now you're this. And and I, I respect that, and I want to treasure that. That, that grace, you know, that, that aspect of the, our meeting. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? 
be kind seems to be the theme. Um, and I think with, with being kind is being open to new possibilities and not being afraid to engage with, with someone different. Don't keep looking out for a mirror of yourself. Look for difference and see see how that can be a new thing, how we can discover the best of ourselves because we're together. And that means people stepping outside of their their luxury or their privilege or their um, existing way of thinking about things. It's challenging. If you think this, well, think why. Why do I think that? Is actually is this actually who I want to be? Actually, look at ourselves. Figure out: Am I measuring up? You know, it's easy to point the finger, but am I measuring up to what I think I could be? Thank you for that, Moira. Victoria, in case anyone hasn't said it in a while. Thank you for all the work you do and for the difference that you make in the classroom. And don't stop. Kia Thank you very much. Because it's Christmas, we're going out to Jingle Bells this week. Let's go out to the Fab Four, which is not the Beatles, but a tribute band playing Jingle Bells in the Beatles style. Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have competition today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm sending my answers day to meet him with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Lower Hutt. Victoria Mitchell. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.